Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every week is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. Well, there's a new team we want to tell you about this Sunday morning. The NBA, NHL, and Prostate Cancer Foundation have joined together to make a great partnership in the second annual Black History Month Challenge. Christine Jones, the Chief Operating Officer of the Prostate Cancer Foundation, will join us with more information. So, as we always suggest, you better be prepared to take down some valuable information you'll hear on the show this morning. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of your Sunday, whether you're just coming in or preparing to go out for an early breakfast or sunrise service at your house of worship. We'll begin this edition of New York Sports and Beyond after this time out on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond. I'm Larry Hardesty. Well, this morning, we're joined by Christine Jones, COO of the Prostate Cancer Foundation, but she had a different hat before she joined the foundation. It was GoDaddy, an attorney, and also talking about helping kids' rights on the Internet. So we'll talk about a bunch of things with Christine Jones as we welcome her to New York Sports and Beyond. Thanks for having hey, me. Good to talk How are to you, you again. You know what? You guys have got something really going for Black History Month that I can't wait to talk about. And uh, you know how I am with prostate cancer and trying to make sure that our guys and the, the other people in their lives that surround them make sure that they do what they need to do to get checked so we can eliminate this disease by early detection. So that's what we want to do. But I got to start with something else. And I promise you, Christine, I will okay. get to the PCF. I promise you. But in, in, okay, looking at, okay, in looking at your background and your resume, I noticed that uh, you did a lot of work when you had your attorney shingle out. And you were testifying in our nation's capital about Internet safety for kids. And that's a thing that I'm really, really interested in. So I want to start there if we can. What are some of the things that as parents, as grandparents, as we start to look and see what's happening and monitoring our, our young folks on the Internet, what are some of the things we need to look out for so we can help protect them? Well, thank you for bringing that up, because it is definitely an area of passion for mine. And if I could just say sort of the bottom line first, Mm -hmm. parents have to know what their kids are doing online. And the way I came to start advocating for policy around this issue is I was one of the early people at GoDaddy. And, you know, back in the early 2000s, there really were no regulations and no policy around how people should behave online. And we knew that there would be a lot of good stuff happening on the Internet. You can get educated, you can communicate, you can shop, you can play games, you can do research, all sorts of great stuff. But we also knew there would be all sorts of not great stuff, too. So one of the things that we noticed is that people on the Internet take advantage of the most vulnerable, and it tends to be the elderly and the young. And so I sort of made it a passion of mine to make GoDaddy a leader in developing policy that would protect kids online. And, you know, over the course of a, more than a decade, we, we did put in place a lot of policy, and it ranges from privacy to spam to pharmacies to child protection, you know, everything you can imagine that now frames how we interact with each other online. Mm-hmm. But no amount of policy, no matter how good it is or how well thought out it is, can take the place of parents understanding the risks and knowing what their kids are doing online. Now, I will tell you, if I could wave my magic wand, I would tell every parent, don't give your child a cell phone and do not give them access to social media until they're 16 years old. Hmm. Understanding that's unrealistic because kids now have access to the Internet from other sources. It's really wise for parents to become experts 
on the platforms their kids are using. And if you don't understand how to use it, ask your kid to teach you. If you don't get Snapchat or you don't get Instagram or you don't get any of the video content sites, any of the places that kids go to do karaoke, any of the the things that come and go as social media places that kids like to exist, you have to sit down with your kid and have them explain it to you. And then, and this is a little bit of a weird privacy thing, you should mirror whatever internet access they have exactly so you know what they're saying and what people are saying to them. And it's really annoying to the kids that you're going to do this, but it is essential that parents know exactly what their kids are doing online. And Christine, we have to be aware that they, they will, they will take us through all the steps you talked about, but they're going to give us their good screen name, not the alias where all the good stuff is, right? Yeah. And you know, there, there is a whole sort of underbelly uh, that kids engage in and they're clever, right? They're, we mm-hmm. were clever when we were kids trying to get yeah. away with stuff. Yep. They'll have their real Instagram handle and then they'll have their Finsta, right? The fake Instagram that they only share with their friends. And that's where they show the really salacious stuff. But if you have your child's phone mirrored to your own device, you'll have access to that as well. Now, the, the reason I say please don't give your kids access to social media until they're 16 is that the types of content and the maturity level that's required to exercise judgment and to not be influenced by it is too much for young people. I'm not even sure 16-year-olds are, are, are really well-formed enough to, to understand all of the particulars, but the, especially a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old who's seeing images of anorexia and self-mutilation and, you know, suicide and all of the sorts of things that are the most horrible things on the Internet, they just can't process it, Larry. And it requires an adult who cares about them to really help them understand what is okay to consume and what's not. And if, if you don't have a good relationship with your kid or, you know, your kid doesn't live with you, you got to find another adult that they respect. And you know what happens to teenagers. They all start to think their parents are idiots. Mm-hmm. you got to find a, a person that they respect who's an adult who can fill that role. Yeah, it, it's so true. And then, Christine, we haven't even broadened the horizon to talk about just the bullying that uh, that goes through the Internet with people they know, with with friends and school, uh, you know, school colleagues that they come in contact with every day. That's a whole other aspect of what goes on on the Internet. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough. You're a public figure. You have a social media presence. You probably get people that are haters, right? It's hard enough for you to consume that as an adult and to shake off the things that people say about you. Imagine a, a 12-year-old who's being horribly threatened or horribly made fun of or, you know, abused. It, it's, it is devastating to their little minds as they're being shaped. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, they just can't get over it, and they do take severe actions to harm themselves, and God forbid, in their own lives. And it is that serious And it's why I spent more than 10 years of my life, my personal time, trying to advocate for policy that would address these things, because we just can't allow a generation or multiple generations of young people to grow up with their brains focused on the fact that they're horrible human beings and they're ugly and they're fat and whatever else people are are talking about them. It, It 
it was bad enough when we were little kids and you had a playground fight. Mm-hmm. But at least then you knew who your bully was and you could confront them and you could make a friendship with them. You can't do that when somebody's picking on you anonymously. And it's very easy to say mean things about people on the Internet if you don't have to say your name. And that's what they do. Yeah, they, they hide behind anonymity. And, and, that, and that gives them yeah, power. I mean, I, you know, I'm a recovering politician. When I was running for office, I had thousands of people who had fake Twitter handles that would beat up on me every single day. Mm-hmm. They never had the, the bravery or the nerve to put their real name associated with that. Right. Yeah. You never yeah. even know who these people are. And even like I say, even as an adult, those those comments can sometimes be hard to consume. But for kids, it really it can be life changing and devastating. Christine, I'm curious. And my guest is Christine Jones, the COO of the Prostate Cancer Foundation. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 987 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. And we will talk about the Prostate Cancer uh, Foundation and the work they're doing along with the NBA and the NHL, especially during Black History Month. Uh, but we just got started with the with the work that she's been doing in her career uh, when she was an attorney with GoDaddy uh, for Internet Safety for Kids and just started a great conversation, which we're in the middle of now. So what was the response in the nation's capital, Christine, when you were talking to these politicians about Internet safety and things that need to be addressed? And and what was their response and what positive things can we hope going forward that came from your hard work? Well, the initial response was very oblique, you know, but first of all, members of Congress didn't understand technology, so it was very difficult for them to figure out how to address these things. And then secondly, because you're a sports show, you know that GoDaddy became famous for these sort of racy Super Bowl ads, sure. mm-hmm. and they didn't take us seriously all the time, so that was mm-hmm. another hurdle I had to overcome. You know, the truth was we had a bunch of really serious people doing really serious work behind the scenes. And the ads were just a way to, you know, bring attention to to the business. Mm-hmm. But eventually, members of Congress, after you talk to them a number of times and after you help them understand that, you know, this could really protect your child or your grandchild, this could protect your aging parent, kind of started to understand. And especially when social media became prevalent in the, you know, sort of mid to late 2000s, the, the members started to understand, yeah, I'm getting beat up too. So actually over that 11-year period, the members on a bipartisan basis started to support this legislation because it was one of the few things that everybody could agree on. There was nobody would stand up and say they would support child pornography. Nobody would stand up and say that elderly people should have to be exposed to buying fake drugs or, you know, other fake consumer goods because they get fooled by a, a site that looks a lot like what the what the product is, but it's a fake, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to say members really did eventually come around. And, you know, it, it's so interesting how broken Washington is right now. We were doing things on a bipartisan basis. I mean, I had a bill that was co-sponsored by Hillary Clinton and John McCain when they wow. were both running for president. Mm. And... You know, some of the most diverse political people would co-sponsor a bill if it helped protect people online. So over time, it actually really became very successful at it. Now, I will say I hear Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook talking about, you know, we should regulate the Internet and we should make it like a public utility. And I'm not so sure that's really the way to go either. But the 
the good news is there are lots of kids alive today, lots of kids who have been rescued from trafficking rings, child pornography rings, abuse um, situations because of the good work we did. There are crimes against children task forces that have been funded because of the good work we did. So of all of the things that I could talk to you about today, it's just that the thing about which I'm the most proud is that even at a time when Washington was horribly divided, we were able to bring people together and build coalitions to get really great things done because everybody agreed that we, we needed to protect the most vulnerable people online. There's no question about that. And listen, the, yeah. the task never ends, Christine, as you well know. Because as as smart as we get, the people who are trying to do the negative things get even smarter. And it's that race to try Isn't to that the truth? catch up. We always say, you know, <laughs> you make a better law, the world builds a better crook. <laughs> so, yeah, we're in that race to catch up and then hopefully be ahead of them. So, we, so we're not on the defensive. We're not on the run all the time. But uh, listen. That's uh, right. Thank you for the work that you've you've done and the work that you continue to do, because I'm sure, you know, the passion that I hear in your voice about it is something that you will not let go. I can hear it. I can't. You just can't because, you know, you may be a person who believes what I do, and that is that in your life you should do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Not because you get anything out of it, not because mm-hmm. you get famous or you get money or power or anything else. Just do the right thing. But not everybody believes that. And sometimes you have to have a little bit of a hook to get people to comply. And that was sort of the approach we took. And and I'm hopeful that, you know, over time, as technology evolves, that members of Congress who become more savvy and, and understand better will continue to advocate for policy that addresses the things that we've been talking about. There's no question about it, because we're trying to protect our young people. Yeah. They are our future. <laughs> so that's what we need yeah, to invest in. That's right. Next on New York Sports and Beyond, we'll explore why African-American men seem to be more susceptible to obtaining prostate cancer. We'll do that next on 98.7 ESPN. So, Christine, how did you make the transition between GoDaddy attorney and the Prostate Cancer Foundation COO? Well, I had I had a little stint in politics in the, in the middle, but the the organization was looking for new leadership on the business side. And so I was recruited to come here and I met a gentleman named Mike Milken, who was the founder of this organization 27 years ago. And it became clear to me almost immediately that the way to impact all forms of cancer, potentially not just prostate cancer, was by helping fund this research. Because today, this organization is impacting 73 forms of human cancer, including the three that are the most common in juveniles. And so I said, you know, I, I, I could take a break from politics for a minute, the, the nastiness of politics to, to try to help find a cure for cancer. That's kind of how I got involved in it. And, you know, now having been here for a couple of years, I understand that the, the work is so important and the science is so incredible that it would be difficult to pull me away from the opportunity to make an impact, which is why you and I are talking today because February is Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in lieu, and in part of Black History Month, it's the second annual Black History Month Assist Challenge. You've got teams from the NBA. You've got teams from the NHL joining together to try to raise awareness and, most importantly, funds. How did this get started, Christine? Take me through the genesis of this relationship between the three groups. I'd love to. So last year... We were looking at, we've, we've been funding studies around African-American disparity for a number of years, and there's a very large study, about 
$20 million study going on right now trying to address this issue because African-American men are 76% more likely to get prostate cancer, and they're more than twice as likely to die from it. And we're not okay with that. So we were, we were trying to figure out, while we're trying to figure out the genetic reasons for that, is there a way that we could get into the African-American community in a bigger way and say, hey, it's very important for you to get tested. It's very important for you to know your PSA. Go get a blood test because if you're treated, you know, if you're diagnosed and treated early, you have just as, as much of a chance of survival as anybody else. And we had had a partnership with Major League Baseball for this is our 25th year. And we know that based on that partnership that we see a rise in, in requests for PSA tests after our, our tour in June. So we started looking at the other sports leagues and, and realized that the NBA not only has more than 75% of its players coming from the African-American community, but it has a disproportionately large percentage of fans who are African-American. So I said, this is a jackpot, right? We can speak the message and way more people will hear it who need to hear it in the NBA than if we just do it generically in the population. So the Atlanta Hawks, agreed to become our pilot program last year. And we cannot say enough good things about the Hawks. Now, it turns out that Atlanta has, as a percentage of their total fan base, the highest African-American percentage in the NBA. So that just worked out great for us. And Grant Hill, who's the former my Hall of Famer, you know, former player and, and the vice chairman of the Hawks, mm-hmm. was super supportive. He and his dad, Calvin Hill, who you might remember as a famous NFL player yep. did a public service announcement for us and we played it in the Atlanta area. And, you know, we did in game um, announcements and, and it turned out that in the Atlanta area after February, the number of PSA tests requested went up. And I said, bingo, let's get this into more NBA teams. Right. So this year through either relationships or introductions, we've got eight teams that joined including a hockey team. And next year I'm hoping to get into every single team because it turns out, and you probably know this because this is your area of expertise, of the 30 NBA teams, 20 of them are listed in the top 25 most highly populated African-American cities. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? Yeah. Yep. It's amazing. It's, it's it, unbelievable, it's amazing. right? So this this program as you said, the, the, fund, the fundraising is super important, but even if it didn't raise a single dollar, if we could get this message into every NBA market, into the fan base of every NBA team, and encourage African-American men in particular to start getting checked early, and if they're diagnosed, get treated immediately, we're saving lives, and that's what this is all about. So we are so excited. You know, this year, again, the Hawks are sort of leading the charge for us. And it turned out great because Trey Young from the uh-huh, Hawks was uh-huh. in both the Rising Stars and the All-Star game at the All-Star break. Yeah. So we got a little bit more attention there. And But it turns out that there's a, a real appetite in the teams and in the ownership and in the, the front offices because you can't find an NBA player hardly who hasn't been impacted by prostate cancer. Yeah, it's true. Their cousin had it, their dad had it, their grandfather, you know, their buddy's father. Every single person seems almost has been impacted by it. So we haven't had anybody resist this notion that, hey, 
we have a voice, we have a platform, people look up to us, let's go tell this message and let's help. And it's free to them, right? It's easy. Mm-hmm. Let's go help save some lives. And everybody has been absolutely fantastic. And there's obviously been a huge success for it. And, and I'm going to, um, you know, add to that the Brooklyn Nets who are here in the New York area that, that even though we cover more than large, obviously larger than just this New York tri-state area, but I'm highlighting the Brooklyn Nets and the Jersey's Devils hockey team, uh, for them to, for folks who are fans of them to get out and enjoy the push. Christine, here's the thing. And you, we've talked before and you know how I am about this. I'm passionate about the idea of everybody making sure, male or female, making sure that they go to the doctor because I'm going to be honest with you, Christine, uh, I came up in a family that wasn't really big fan of going to doctors. <laughs> okay. yep. if, if it didn't really hurt, we don't need to go. And through, through the time that, that we've had this show on and Ray Santiago has been the producer and we've really worked hard at it, we're seeing that people are coming back to us, Christine, and they're saying, hey, listen, Thank you for the information, because there is a stigma about going for, especially guys, and I'm just going to tell you, it's not comfortable. We're uncomfortable going for the prostate exam. We're uncomfortable thinking about, well, the PSA test, what's going to happen? Well, here's the thing. It's a blood test. So once you get a certain number, Christine, and then the earlier you find it, here's the key thing, guys and ladies, make sure you push the guys out to go. Here's the key thing. The, the, even if the number is a little high, you go and you get, once you find that out, you get on the road to recovery. That's the best part of it. The earlier you go, Christine, that's why you've got the NBA doing what they're doing. That's why you've got the NHL, NHL doing what they're doing in this, especially during Black History Month, but not only during this month, year round. You need to go and get tested. I, Christine, I can't say it any, anymore. It, it's not as hard as you think it is. It's really not. And, you know, we, we've tried to socialize this notion that the blood test is, I mean, you're going to get your blood tested anyway, right? So right. why yep. not ask what your PSA is while you're at it? It's not hard. And obviously, as you said, if your numbers are elevated, then your doctor is going to recommend whatever he thinks you should do going forward, whether it's just, you know, keeping an eye on it or having an additional screening or biopsies or whatever, right? There's all sorts of different things that can happen. But the most important thing is that you know because, gosh, do we see a lot of men come to us later in the process yeah. because they've been diagnosed late. Mm-hmm. And it's much more difficult for us to help those gentlemen. And it just breaks our heart because it's like, you know, if we had known this a couple of years ago, you would have been already treated and totally fine by now. Yep. And instead, we're trying to help them, you know, maybe extend their lives by a few months or a few years. And it just, it, it, it's so unnecessary when it's so easy to go find out and then to get treated. So we really encourage it. And we are so appreciative of what you're doing. And I know that you've been a champion for this and you've had us on before and you probably get better feedback from your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Than we do. We, we sort mm-hmm. of see generically the numbers, but I love that people come back to you and say, you know, Hey man, because you said that, I went to the doctor and I'm fine now. I just love that. It's got to be among the most rewarding things that any of us does on a daily basis. No question about it. Christine Jones, the chief operating officer of the Prostate Cancer Foundation, is my guest. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, Christine, and I always ask this question, and I'm curious because the the, – we find out more and more. We get closer and closer to a cure every year, every day, every hour. 
do have we figured out what it is? Is there one particular trait that allows the the African American male to be seventy six percent higher and, and twice more likely to die from prostate cancer and to have it more than than other any other male in the population? We don't know for sure. We do know that there are certain areas of the globe that are more inclined to it. So um, African-American men who have West African ancestry are, are more likely to contract the disease. We also have a suspicion, although we're still in the middle of a study, so there's no conclusions yet, mm-hmm. that there is some environmental input. Mm-hmm. I also happen to think, and again, uh, no scientific evidence, but it just makes sense to me that there's an access to care issue, mm-hmm. a health disparity issue. There's also, as you said at the beginning, a, a suspicion of people who don't like to go to the doctor, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things sort of contribute to it, but we do know with certainty that the response to the treatment is the same. So if you're diagnosed and you're treated, you have just as much of a chance of survival as non-African-American men, which tells me African-American men either aren't getting tested or they're not getting diagnosed in time. So, mm-hmm. because otherwise the, the death rate wouldn't be higher. And, the, you know, even if the incidence rate is higher, the death rate shouldn't be higher. So it's, it, it's very puzzling and very frustrating to us while we're figuring out the genetic piece and we're actually working on a study that will help identify early, very early, people who are more prone or, you know, have a genetic predisposition to it, sort of Mm -hmm. like what we do with, I mean, you test for sickle cell or you test for breast cancer, you know, the breast cancer gene or something like that. We're working on something like that to do very early so that the doctor for your whole life is just sort of keeping an eye on it and understanding if you have a genetic predisposition to it, we want to know right away and then we can treat you right away. And we're very excited about that. But as I say, that you know, these studies are ongoing, and the scientists that work with me and, and um, the one who sits next door to me would probably die if he heard me saying this. But yeah. we're, we're very bullish on, on being able to figure that out and, and helping people track those numbers from very early in life. Well, I'll say this in defense of some guys, Christine. I think that we're we're, we're used to having – reacting to responses. Okay, if we're sneezing, we know we have a cold, let's go get some medicine. If we're coughing, I have a sore throat, okay, let's go, we get cough medicine and we get some, you know, some spray down our throat and our throat is better. We have a headache, we get aspirin. With prostate cancer, there's no warning signs. So I think because of that, you know, it's like, okay, well, I must be okay, otherwise something would be going on. No, no, that's not the case. Yeah, and this is why I have heard it called the silent killer before, because Mm -hmm. unlike some forms of cancer, there really aren't any symptoms. It doesn't hurt. You know, it doesn't make it harder to urinate. You know, but none of the things that you would expect to happen are happening. And so it's absolutely critical that you get the blood test. That's the way to find out. But, you know, you you hear these stories about people who are diagnosed with advanced cancer and and they should have known, right, because they had a pain in their side or there were a lump in their breast or, you know, something like this. They should have known. There's nothing on the should have known about prostate cancer because it just doesn't have any symptoms. But one point you made that I want to emphasize is because men don't like to go to the doctor unless they're about to die, the women in their lives are critically important to this conversation. We every single day have us hear a story about a man who was saved because his wife or his sister, 
his cousin, his friend said, you have to go to the doctor. And if not for that woman in his life, he probably wouldn't have survived. So it is so important. And one thing women can do, we have a number of free resources on our website, pcf.org. And they're free, right? Just download. We have a patient guide. We have a nutrition guide. We have an additional guide just for African-American men. Download that stuff. Read it. Put it in front of the men in your life and say, I want to know what your PSA is. Mm-hmm. Tell me what your PSA is, and I want you to know it all the time. And if you don't, you need to go find out. That is the way that women can help participate in this survival rate. Christine, you're a thousand percent right, and I've shared this with the audience because my wife did that to me uh, a number of years ago. I thought, I thought you told me that. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, God bless her. Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm happy to say when I went back this year, well, last year in 2019, when I went back, uh, there were, it was for colon, uh, there were no polyps and everything was good. But that was oh, because of the first time that I went where they were, where polyps were found. And afterwards, as I mentioned to you and sharing this for folks who didn't hear before, when the surgeon came out, he said, why did you come? And I said, well, my wife told me I needed to come. He said, well, thank her because you may not be alive if you had, we had not caught this early. So you're a thousand percent right, Christine, for the folks around them, you know, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, moms, wives, significant others, whoever. If you care about the person in your life, make sure that they go. They need a nudge. You know, once again, we, we respond to pain. That's how we're that's how, you know, our body is. OK, some hurts. Let me go get it. Let me go and see what's going on with it. But, you know, this you don't there's not there's not a warning sign for this. So you have to really. Yeah, really? and going back to our original conversation about mm-hmm. the internet, yeah, there's a whole trope about how men are supposed to be tough yeah, and they're yeah. supposed to be able to take pain, and you know they're they're the they're you know the macho guy, all the machismo and everything, and mm-hmm. and that is not a way to save your life, nope. <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> no. you shouldn't try to be you're not you're not trying to go to the doctor all the time, but you shouldn't try to be tough about this. That's right. It's, it's, it just doesn't make sense in this case. Absolutely right. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond. I'm Larry Hardesty. When we return, Christine and I will discuss some new treatments and improvements in side effects in treating prostate cancer on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Let's conclude our chat with Christine Jones, Chief Operating Officer of the Prostate Cancer Foundation. Christine, in your conversations with your scientists and your doctors, where are we as far as the side effects, because I've had heard conversations with men and that has been some of the things about, you know, the fear of the side effects uh, of going through, you know, the, the radiation, if necessary, or surgery or chemotherapy or whatever it may be, if they have not taken the steps to get there early. Where are we in advancing in those uh, with side effects and lessening those? Yeah, that's a great question. And we do have some of our funded researchers who are exclusively focused on reducing side effects, whether it's, you know, um, radiation causing hot flashes, which, by the way, none of the women over 50 feel sorry for you. But, but anyway, <laughs> that, that issue or sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction, incontinence, you know, there are a lot of things that can happen. The good news is we've been at this now for 27 years, and we know that you don't always have to go to the most ex- extreme treatment immediately. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they don't even have their prostate removed. They don't end up having chemotherapy. They don't end up having radiation. You know, the, the science about it is so much more advanced that a lot of those side effects have been eliminated. 
and for the men who do have side effects, now there are so many treatment options. And again, our patient guide will describe a lot of that, that the side effects have been really, really minimalized. And I think also part of it is just stigma because men don't like to talk about things below the belt, so to speak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think addressing that and, and making the side effects less has really helped with the stigma attached to being treated or even mm -hmm. talking about your prostate, right? I mean, yeah. pe people don't, men particularly don't like to talk about their prostate uh, gland, right? No. They mm -hmm. love to talk about breast cancer because everybody wants to talk about boobs, but nobody wants to talk about your, <laughs> your prostate. So mm -hmm. I think removing some of that stigma, raising awareness, having people like you be open and, and talk about it and, and encourage people to just you know, know your risk and know your numbers has really helped. I will say it a thousand times. If you're diagnosed and treated early, it will reduce your side effects. Mm -hmm. the, the treatment will be so much less severe that your side effects will be reduced. And in the meantime, we continue to fund research around how to prevent side effects. And if they happen, how to make the lifestyle and the existence of men who've been treated more satisfying. And, you know, we, we want people to have a good quality of life. Absolutely. Christine, there are several members of my family that are going through uh, the, the treatment of prostate cancer right now. And one of the things that in conversations that we've had that I've noticed that is a little different is the increase as far as treatment of the hormone therapy. Can you quickly, I know you're not a doctor, but can you just kind of on the surface go through what that, the advances that that has been and that as an option to maybe if necessary radiation or chemotherapy, if it is an option? Sure. Um, you may have heard about this in the breast cancer context. Some breast cancer responds to hormone therapy and some doesn't. The mm -hmm. same thing would apply in the prostate cancer context. Mm -hmm. And there are multiple different kinds of prostate cancer, just like there are multiple different kinds of breast cancer or brain cancer or bladder cancer. And for particular forms of cancer that respond to hormone therapy, men are given hormones affirmatively. Oftentimes that'll precede radiation for those that don't or for those where there's too much hormone present and it's causing the cancer to grow faster. We actually deprive or do hormone deprivation therapy. And so again, it's, it's a balance based on the type of genetic um, deformity, essentially the type of DNA change that's going on in the actual cancer cells that determines which treatment to have. So, you know, men shouldn't be nervous if the doctor says either you do need additional hormone therapy or you need deprivation therapy because it'll be specifically tailored to the type of DNA mutation. And we know, you know, we do know that sometimes the deprivation therapy isn't aggressive enough or isn't strong enough to help heal some of the advanced diseases. And we have several studies going on right now for when cancer is therapy resistant, mm -hmm. what then is the next step? What's the treatment to, to fix that problem? And we've been funding those for several years. And every year we hear reports from our funded scientists on breakthroughs, breakthroughs that they've made and, you know, clinical trials that they're engaged in. And it's, it's really remarkable. The science is moving very fast. And as from a non-scientific standpoint, it's mind-blowing to me because it's just, every single day our science department is publishing something about some new breakthrough. So mm. it's very exciting.
And very encouraging. And very encouraging. Yeah, it's very encouraging. It is. Especially if you know that the research that you're doing impacts 73 forms of cancer. Absolutely. Because now we know cancer is not exactly about geography, right? It's more about DNA. Mm -hmm. And the same DNA mutation that can happen in your prostate can happen in breast cancer Hmm. or colon cancer or bladder cancer or brain cancer, right? So Mm -hmm. it's it's really exciting to, to see people looking directly at the change in the DNA and what do we do to either turn on your immune system, turn off your immune system, get the the chemotherapy directly to the exact cells that you need to get them to. I mean, we could nerd out on this all day, but it's really (laughs) cool stuff. And it it becomes more and more specific, which helps reduce the side effects. If you don't kill good cells, you only either kill bad cells or fix bad cells. The side effects are substantially reduced. Christine, I would think as we kind of come to the closing part of our chat this morning. Uh, in just in conversation, the toughest part, and I mentioned to you that I have some, some family members going through it, is not, it's not physically as tough, mentally is even harder, Christine. Um, how do you stay positive? How do you, uh, you know, keep yourself going? How do you not feel, quote, and I don't want this to sound insensitive, but this is the phrase that comes up, sorry for yourself. Um, because that, to me, that hinders how you look and ultimately how you, you know, get better. You, you've got to try to find yeah, a way that, to have a positive health attitude about it mentally. It's super important. And, you know, anybody who heard, hears the C word, they hear you've yeah, been diagnosed yeah. with cancer. Mm-hmm. There's an immediate sort of rush of blood to your head and, you know, the tunnel vision and the, the horror thing that happens. But then as you sort of get a little bit of distance between yourself and the diagnosis, it's really important to say, you know, let me weigh out all my treatment options. Let me understand what is going on here. And importantly, let me find other people who relate to this. We have a bunch of Facebook groups for people who are either in treatment, their significant others are in treatment, they've gone through treatment. And and just being in a community like that is helpful. There are support groups around the country for people to, whether it's the spouse or the the patient, there are lots of ways to to help navigate that. But you said the single most important thing, and that is attitude. And you've been hearing it since you're a little kid. Attitude is everything. Mm -hmm. It's a lot in sports. It's a lot in school. It's a lot in science. But it is absolutely critical in cancer care. You got to keep moving. You absolutely have to change your diet so that your system can be as strong as possible and your immune system is on fire to fight this with you. But what's going on in your head, whatever your thing is, if it's God, if it's, you know, nature, if it's your friends and family, whatever your North Star is, you have to go to it and you have to keep a positive attitude and you got to keep living your life. Because if you, if you think you're going to die, you might. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, right. we have stories and stories and stories and stories, and you probably have it in your family. I have it in my family of people who said, I'm just going to fight this. And they mm-hmm. beat all the crazy odds because they just kept they just kept getting up every day, put a smile on their face and said, I'm going to live my life. And I'm going to be positive about this and I'm going to go beat this thing. And it yeah. it's, sounds cliche to say it, but it's so powerful how strong your brain is and how much of a difference it can make when you approach it with the right attitude. And let's end on a positive note, 
uh, Christine, by telling folks that okay. listen, the death rate is down by 52%. That's good news. That is incredible news. And a lot of that is because we've developed treatments, but a lot of it is because people are getting tested and they're now aware earlier when they have the disease and they get diagnosed and treated and then they just continue to live their life, fruitful life for decades. So we're very proud of that statistic, 52% decline in the death rate over the amount of time we've been in, in uh, this business since 1993. Give us the website information again so we can not only download information, but <clears throat> put some donations to the uh, Prostate Cancer Foundation as well. Well, thank you for saying that. Obviously, any donations we get at PCF.org, PCF.org, go directly to fund research. And as I mentioned before, we have a lot of free resources. We encourage people to take advantage of those. And the, the amount of research that we fund every year directly impacts that decline in death rate. It directly impacts the type of treatment that your family members are getting. There are organizations that are more singularly focused on awareness or, you know, advertising and that sort of thing. And those are important, too. But our mission here at the Prostate Cancer Foundation is to fund life-saving research. And it takes a lot of money to do it. So whether it's $10 or $10,000, every single bit of it matters. And, and we, what, we spend it when it comes in. You know, the minute we can find an additional study, we do because we take this stuff really, really seriously. Christine Jones, COO of the Prostate Cancer Foundation. It's always good when we sit down and chat. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation, probably around the probably around Father's Day, because that's when your your baseball folks kick in, as you mentioned earlier. So, listen, I want you to get the, the National Football League involved. I want this. I want us to talk every every sports season of the year. <laughs> going forward. We're just going to rotate through, through quarterly. Okay, I, I love that. And thank you again, Larry, for being so generous with your time and for bringing all this information to your audience, because even if they're not being treated for cancer, prostate, or any other kind, they, they probably know somebody who is. And, and we have information that is valuable for every form of cancer, not just prostate. So thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you're doing to help us out on this. Our pleasure, Christine. Stay in touch. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll see you during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday on New York Sports and Beyond. And, of course, tonight we'll join you on the Larry Hardesty Show. For my producer of the legendary Ray Santiago, I am Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues next on 98.7 ESPN New York.